You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about one-armed observational studies. Is it fake science or is it real science? So stay tuned for, I think this is really, really important topic. We had this topic recently as a discussion part within the launch and life cycle special interest group. This special interest group is part of the SPI and PSI special interest groups. And if you want to learn more about all these different special interest groups, then check out psiweb.org for all the different special interest groups. There's many of these. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Visit the PSI homepage at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. Today, it's Benjamin and myself again. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks, Alex. How are you? Very good. As we are recording this, it's just four days away from Christmas. It's pretty cold here in Germany. And we are in the last tracks of the year. Yeah, it used to be colder last week. So it's now yeah, yeah, even yeah. above zero and it's raining instead of snowing. Yeah, weather outside is pretty dirty, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> and the story we talk about today is actually something that fits those weather conditions quite nicely because it's a little bit no not just a little bit it's the ugly side of science that we will talk about today or some people actually call it fake science so science and hyphens so to say we will talk about one armed observational studies today and why they're in most cases not a good idea And going back very early to my career as a statistician, when I was still pretty new in the pharma world and maybe a little bit naive, <laughs> I actually was working on one of these. Me too. It was actually the, at that time I didn't even bother too much about why or why not. So all the considerations about using the, these open label single arm trials was, was just, yeah, they were there. We... We did the best we could do, and yeah, maybe it was a bit naive. Yeah. So let's first talk about what it actually is. Yeah. One-armed observational studies are studies where only one treatment, one therapy is observed. And you can also have, of course, one-armed clinical trials. But here's the one-armed observational studies. These are usually studies that are run. These are always studies that are run after the launch of the therapy. And very often they are even run very close 
to the time of launch. Yeah. So directly when the treatment comes onto the market or very shortly thereafter, these studies come. And so the observational nature of that allows companies to include many different patients and, of course, also physicians, yeah, treating physicians into these studies because with observational studies, the treatment is not paid by the sponsor, but through the usual system, yeah, being it through paid insurance or whatsoever, yeah. So that makes it cheap. The other thing is also because it's an observational study, you don't have as many regulations as for clinical trials. That makes it also cheap. And then on top of that, very often the amount of data that is captured is not as much as within clinical trials. Yeah, You surely don't have as many visits. You don't have as many once you collect, well, which is actually sensible for observational studies in general, Yeah, but because you just want to observe what's happening. But the, all these kind of transparent things, and of course, there's no, not so much of scrutiny regarding data quality and source data verification and all these kind of things, and not so much kind of work around operations. All these make observational studies pretty cheap compared to yeah. clinical no, I remember that we had, especially when you talk about data quality, we had a lot of interesting considerations regarding self-evident changes. So basically, this, the statistician put into the SAP a, a section about how to handle data. data. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty data. So there was, which was, in, which is something we often see our days now in whatever you call it, like centralized statistical monitoring or any support where you consider any pattern and or outliers, etc. So different topic, but so that is where I saw the, the my personal beginning in the in handling statistics like data or seeing the data quality from a statistical side of things. However, I think one thing you didn't mention, but what I see, what I experience quite often is that in these settings and the settings of single arm trials. We had a usually very high demand for publications. So we get to this in a little bit, little bit later. We usually had very strong involvement of one specific investigator, which was the key or yeah. The, yeah. The, some um, key opinion leaders. Yeah. yeah, some key opinion leaders on that one. So that is a characteristic what I remember. And but on the other hand, I think the objectives and the data collection. I've experienced differently so that there was still a lot of considerations put into what, how can we make the best use of expanding the population, mm -hmm. having maybe different, a little bit off-label sometimes. It's going into off-label treatment for some of the, for some patients or some combinations yeah. of, let's say, if it's oncology, it could maybe it was first and second line, now maybe third line, whatsoever. So the differentiation from the original label and there were also experiences where given the results from a new label extension studies so which were usually observational studies but then in a randomized setting where were initiated after the, seeing the results to it so that is on the since we talk about the bad weather outside there's a little bit of sunshine there as well then we will at the end of the episode we can also talk about some cases where actually it might be relevant to have these studies. So there's always the exception to the rule, of course, but very often the key driver is basically to purchase 
Yeah. To basically, the system is very easy. Yeah. The prescribing physician gets money for documenting what he sees. And if that money is an incentive for him, and he can get it only if he bribes a certain treatment, then it starts to become bribing. Yeah. And I know about cases where tens or more than 100,000 patients were included in such studies and where even companies didn't invest the money to put these at the time paper case reports forms into electronic forms. So they said, oh, we should just take every fourth and 25%. And there you can see the real rational behind it is not scientific. Yeah. And these are the things that really hurt the overall reputation about pharma. Just decades ago, Ben Goldacre was publishing a lot about bad pharma and selective publications and all these kind of different things. Yeah. And how pharma companies bribed all kinds of different people. And that is one part of it. And sometimes you still see these kind of things happening. Yeah. So if you work within a company and you get this kind of request, oh, we want to start a one-armed op study, be careful about it. Yeah. Understand where it's really coming from. These are the things that can much more hurt the reputation of your company and the overall industry than, than being helpful. And also from the statistical side of things, it is questionable in terms of how to use and how to interpret the data. Yep. So it's, I might say it's not working. For example, yeah, I've also seen that there are examples of studies where we had a comparator outside a study. Basically, it's that it had external information that we used to compare against the results from the study. At the end, it was a little bit difficult to meet this because of the variety within the population. But at least it was one of the objectives for the study to select the correct, like a subset of patients as a population to really compare against. So there, there are also like some interesting parts of how to use the results of the data statistically, but usually it's a lot of fighting back against the publication team to say no no p-value there is no p-value <laughs> and so that was yeah and then some people come up skills. with all kind of crazy ideas let's look into whether the changes from baseline are significant and then say the changes from baseline are significant and point in the right direction so the treatment is working no <laughs> you can't say that yeah and you get into all kinds of different problems. Like you said, if different populations versus the external controls, you might have different background effects. You might have the, your external data might be from different time periods. There might be different healthcare implications. Maybe you don't have the same endpoints that are you collect in your observational study compared to your external data. You surely have different data quality than in clinical trials. You maybe have different time points where you have collected data, which leads to lots of problems. And also when you have these observational studies at the start of the launch period, 
you have very different patients included. Yeah, different patients and different physicians. First is, if you launch a new medication, there are usually a certain demographic of physicians that try these out. These are the early adopters, the people that really want to be on, on top of everything. Maybe the people that participated in previous studies, yeah, the phase three of phase three B investigators. They are already used to these kind of medications and therefore will more likely prescribe it. By the way, another reason why some study some studies are implemented, even clinical trials, just to get physicians some experience on the drug so that they are, let's say, more likely to prescribe it in the future. And so there you have different patients, different physicians at the start of a new therapy in the market than a couple of years later. Yeah, and also to talk about again for on the data is kind. Of, you said that we don't really have a lot of data available simply because it's new on the market. So that means that also the responsibility for us to work on this and especially on the safety side of things to have a quite have a close look of what's going there is immense. So yeah. it's and on the other hand, the risk that we are seeing something which we which isn't. Plan because I, we don't collect the data. We don't collect background data as much as we do for clinical trials. So you don't really know what the patient is or who the yeah. patient is entering this study. So there's a lot of risk and responsibility associated to, especially for a statistician, or not especially, but also for a statistician, for you and working on such study. Yeah, and talking about safety, yeah, the problem is. You can't really win. Yeah. As I pointed out, if you see some kind of efficacy, yeah. Oh, you don't really see efficacy. You see maybe positive changes in certain endpoints. You can't really interpret it. And if you then see something on the safety side, yeah, then it's even worse because you don't know whether that is for real or whether that is something just because you. You have bad luck or because there's different communication or these are different patients or whatsoever. Yeah. And then you create a safety problem or safety signal that maybe isn't real. Therefore, I always favor comparative observational studies. Yeah. Where you at least have some proportion of the patients that get on other treatments. Yeah. On that are on standard of care, that are on alternative medications whatsoever. Yeah. And you observe these over time as well to understand what's really happening. Yeah. And then you have an internal control. You still have, of course, all the problems with usual problems with observational studies. Yeah. So you need propensity scoring and all kind of other things here. But at least you have collect the data through the same channels with the same endpoints, with the same time points, over the same time period, with the same investigators, and all these other things. Yeah, So lots of problems about biases you can always get rid of. And you also have patient-level data. Yeah, So that is immensely helpful. Yeah. And then you can actually see, ah, yeah, the patients on the new therapy look different to those that are on older therapies. 
Yeah, they are more severe, they are more pretreated, they are don't know younger, whatsoever. Yeah, and that helps you to get a much better sense of what's going on. Yeah, I think you're right. It's there are limitations to phrase this nicely to the whole setup, and I think there that is a differentiator between a seriously, like a scientifically valid observational single arm trial. So where you really put restrictions on the population, on inclusion, exclusion criteria, on background of the patients to make it comparable and to really have a valid scientific approach to it versus a marketing driven study. Yeah. And, and, but yeah, but still it's still, we have to remember that if you have a good treatment, it's worth the marketing. It's, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Don't you as a statistician put your signature under the scientific part of it. And so while I appreciate that the successful molecule compound treatment is worth to be present and first in the market and first, that is what we all work for, right? To get yeah. the right medication out there. But still at the end, it's your signature on the SAP, on the statistics, on the results as a statistician. And that is where you also have a voice to consider your statistical knowledge and background and make some yeah. improvement to what we observe. Yeah. And also it's your name on these publications. Yeah, that is really important. And I talk a lot about saying leadership. Yeah, this is a space where you as a statistician can influence others, Yeah, where you can understand where is really the value come from and where you can speak with relevant people and help them understand, hey, this is usually it's, it doesn't helpful to say you're trying to bribe people here. Yeah, that's probably not helpful. But if you explain to them, this can actually hurt much more than it helps. And here are alternative ways. Yeah, let's spend also some money on collecting other patients on other treatments that will help a lot then later on with also use of these data. I can tell you, publishing these one-armed observational studies in anything that is peer-reviewed is really difficult, unless you have these low-quality paid publications. And of course, you usually can, you can get it as a poster at some conferences, but getting it really with some impact is a big difference. And a couple of my highest impact factor publications are actually from comparable observational studies. Yeah? Long-term observational studies that are years longer than the usual observational study, observation time for clinical trials, much bigger, looking into more vulnerable subpopulations, all these kind of different things you can do with observational studies. Let's at the end talk shortly about a couple of few exceptions that where I would see observational studies might be helpful. One is, for example, if you want to look into some kind of specific behavior that is only relevant for the new therapy. For example, you want to check where a certain co-medication that must be used is really used. Yeah or whether you're interested in whether only the correct population is looked into, yeah? and whether the dose that you recommend is really used, or is it up titration or down titration or whatsoever. 
Yeah, these kind of questions that are specific to your therapy, it makes sense there to have a one-armed study. But then probably you don't need to collect a lot of other stuff than just this information. (laughs) And also if the focus is on safety, I think if the safety, if there are questions, you said from safety? I don't know. There's a a rational forum. I disagree. As I just said, if you then see something in safety, you want to explain it. No, you have to put them in the right frame, right? So you have to collect the right data for this as well. It's not if you do a marketing study and then just get the safety data out of it and try to use it. That's the tricky part. But if you design the population and the inclusion criteria and compare this comparable with others, with previous studies and for long-term follow-up, et cetera. But even there, I really would like to have comparative data. Yeah. So just to put things into perspective, yeah. If I have just thinking about, let's say, antidepressants, yeah, and you want to understand what is the safety longer term, yeah, you want to understand how is it different to safety of other medication of the same class of other classes, so that you can put things into perspective. Imagine you have more suicides. What do you do with it? Yeah, you don't know. Is that really lack of efficacy or is there something other things going on with the antidepressants? And if you have a comparator arms, then you can at least see, oh, is the suicide consistent across all the different arms? Or do I have a detection bias here or whatsoever? And all these problems you can at least mitigate if you have a comparator arm. Yeah, no, I agree. But usually if you're new on a market, you already have the comparator data. Yeah, uh, you know, it depends. It's always it depends, but it's still there's there rationals outside what would be just making this always like a double, like a two arm trial or comparator arm comparator trial, well, whatever. Overall, it is a little bit sunshine in a, on a rainy day. So it's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would definitely feel sleep better if I know that I have some kind of inter- internal control, even if it would be just let's say a third of the patients. Yeah. So. That would help me sleep better and also surely helps with the publication. Okay, very good. Any final point about this? No, actually, I think we, we talked this through. So it's interesting to have to understand that we both had a similar experience in the beginning, being naive and new on being thrown into this and realizing at late that there is a bit of a scientific gap in executing such studies. But actually, that's why we are here and talk about it. Yeah. And so if you're younger in the pharmaceutical industry, have a look into what happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. Pharma did a lot of really bad things. That's why lots of pharma companies now have a code of conduct and all these other things. Yeah. Where, and you need to do these trainings of not bribing people and stuff like that. That's because people did it. <laughs> Not because pharma is so great that it fights against. Yeah, we have these codes of conduct. Not because we are great, but because pharma did a lot of bad things in the past. Think about where we are coming from. That helps you to understand a lot about what's going on and gives you perspective, especially when you see something like this coming your way on your desk. Thanks so much. Have a great time. And talk to you soon again. Bye-bye. Before you leave, 
check out the upcoming conference of the effective statistician. Just go to the effective statistician slash conference and you'll find all the information about this really cool five hour free and virtual event happening on April 25th of 2023. So head it over to you, register. If you have problems with registering, then please also check your spam folder. If you still have problems with it, maybe try to register with your personal email address or send me a note via a LinkedIn so that we can make sure that everything goes to plan. With the different companies and the new spam photos and everything, it's sometimes quite difficult to get through all of that. So, head over to theeffectivestatistician.com slash conference and register for this conference. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and the team at VVS for help with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Music